Well, listeners, in case you didn't get enough sports today, here's an ad break that'll tell you how to watch even more sports. YouTube is the new home of NFL Sunday Ticket. And if you sign up now, you'll get our lowest full season price of the year. Just go to youtube.com slash presale to get $100 off NFL Sunday Ticket. Watch your favorite team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games, exclusively on YouTube and YouTube TV. All right, enough about sports. Go get more sports. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends June 6th. No refunds. Kelowna has a really good Perkins, if I remember correctly. I'm a, oh, wow. I'm a big, big fan of the Perkins. I don't think it's a Perkins anymore. I think it's a Smitty's. No! Yeah. Ah, that's bullshit. Passers wide open. Gets the puck. Tours! That's the only reason I do these podcasts, is so I can hear all those amazing things about myself. So thanks for having me, and uh, now I'm signing off. I am... Uh... Honored, thrilled. This is uh, one of the greatest achievements of my life. I literally, I, I, I showered and I combed my hair for you. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. after podcasting what do you think oh i mean like are we all gonna have our own radio stations or i mean i feel like podcasting is like i don't know like it'll be like holograms or something won't it it'll be like a you know you'll record a message in a kleenex box then you pull out the kleenex and then like a little man appears and he tells you (laughs) who's good on the canucks or whatever like star wars (laughs) and gem all together recording that <laughs> everyone will have their own personal streaming service and you'll be able to curate all your own videos you know and yeah so you'll go to like harrison mooney gem and you'll go there and it'll just be like i mean i don't know probably just old episodes of clone it's like, oh crap it's the misfits again Ugh, i'm out of here <laughs> all this dude watches is spirited away <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome to, it's an official episode, but it's kind of a special episode because we didn't plan on doing another one this week, I guess, unless the Canucks happen to play again and win. Um, This was a really, really awesome episode. We managed to uh, snag one of the greatest voices in the Vancouver media, um, media sphere, is that, I'm going to use the word. You're killing it. Um, yeah, just keep going. He uh, he hasn't uh, been part of Passa Dubulis in well over a decade or so. It feels like um, I'm still refreshing my feed, so I'm assuming there is a new podcast coming at some point between him and Daniel Wagner. Um, we're not sure where Daniel is. I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, but you know what? We're pretty happy to have this guy. Harrison freaking Mooney is on our podcast, unless it's yeah. someone else and the name's right. But uh, um, Harrison, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. You know what? It's 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 our pleasure. I mean, I'm a little scared. Like you said, you got a bottle of bleach in the back, so this could go south really quickly here. I'm in my laundry room. <laughs> okay. You know, I 
Yeah, uh, there's a there's a bunch of dirty diapers in the washing machine. We're you know we're a cloth diaper family. It's just oh, chaos. Oh, well, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. My 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 office stinks. Like it's the worst place in the world <laughs> right now. But uh, you know what so can you do? Let's cover this quickly. So we did cloth diapers as well. My kids are nine and seven now. Um, who's in charge of the the spray down? Or is it a mutual? Is it a is it a group effort? Oh yeah, it's almost always me. Um, like all all poops in this house are my responsibility. <laughs> um, almost all poops, I guess. You know, there's another adult who lives here. <laughs> but like, uh, it's, it's a group weird. effort, but like it's mostly your responsibility. Yeah, yeah. So like we actually like we don't we don't uh, have you know a lot of people attach the little spray down hose to the toilet and. Nah. You know, uh, we didn't do that. Uh, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of these. This is a great way to start this podcast. People yeah. are really going to listen to this. A lot of the, a lot of the you know the number twos you can kind of like roll off <laughs> into the toilet. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, <laughs> you do you know, do like a good we, shake too? <laughs> yeah, the roll of the shake. I don't trust the shake because sometimes stuff jumps off and it goes. Rogue. I don't know. It goes rogue. It, it, yeah, yeah. But you know, then then we we just trust the the, the rinse function. On the laundry, uh, the the washing machine there that seems to do a perfectly fine job. Throw in a little bleach. It's sunny right now, so you know we let those bad boys just air dry outside. Crisp out. Yeah, yeah. You know it takes a bit of that scent away, leaves them feeling. I mean, they're still warm after, which is nice. You know, the kid likes a warm diaper. It's great. It's a great <laughs> system. It's a great system. So I'm. I think we could be done right now, and I think people are going to be tuning in for this story. Yeah, this is the worst. Who knew? The worst podcast. Like, what are we talking about? My goodness. So, um, Harrison, you kind of got away from uh, the hockey side of things and decided to go mainstream. Um, you know, how, how's that been? What's uh, What's really been up with you since uh, your departure from, I guess, the blogosphere, and now you're a writer? Yeah, yeah. Now I'm a I'm a, I'm a big boy writer. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, like, I, I was happy to get into more kind of general assignment reporting and just, you know, covering some stuff outside of sports and getting a little bit of experience. Um, and, you know, even like working with like a, like a real print editor, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, and that's not to disparage Daniel. Uh, he's also a pretty good editor. But, uh, you know, like when we're blogging, like you, you, you write your story, you publish it. And then what happens is the internet is your editor and they just respond with like, you know, you spelled Sadine wrong, so you should kill yourself. Again, that's not my favorite way <laughs> to be edited. So, um, yeah, it's been really fun working with, uh, you know, guys like, I mean, like Massey Padgham is like, he, he feels like like the last great copy editor in, in Western Canada to me. Like this dude, he'll come over and be like, oh, you used altercation when what you actually wanted was confrontation. And then he'll explain the difference. And, um, you know, he'll say, like, don't say replied, just say said. Nobody needs fancy verbs for said. Um, you know, he's helped me to uh, <laughs> kind of streamline my writing um, and, uh, and really just to be a better writer. Um, so then, uh, you know, I did that for a few years and I started working on uh, on my, my memoir. Um, and, uh, you know, I got my, my big boy book deal in, uh, in June. So uh, my, with- my debut memoir, The Boy Who Saw What Wasn't There, uh, is due out on Harper Collins in fall 2022. So where does the where does the 2022 due out date come from? Is that something you set with Harper Collins, or is that just like I feel like it's going to take this long to write and get edited and yeah and go through it, or is that I mean you said it's your it's your memoirs, right? I mean, what more can we know about it? Yeah. Um. So you know, like when when we signed the deal, like they asked me 
what you know how long I thought it would take for me to to write. And I told them that I could finish it by February. Um, that was a, a stupid thing to say. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> But you know now my contract says that they they expect that book by uh, February first. Um, you know, and I mean, like I can be late. I you know I'm sure you guys have watched like every show on TV is a writer writing about him or herself, um, and so it's just writers writing and then being like they're always late for their deadlines and they're like ducking their publisher and like you know so I, that's real. You can do that, um, but uh, it's my first book and. I just feel like I would like to have a good reputation in this industry. I'd like there to be more books. So, um, you know, I'm trying as hard as I can to get it finished by then. And then there's like a whole, a whole process, like multiple rounds of editing, you know, um, there's like a, like a legal read and like a sensitivity read and like, wow. uh, you know, uh, yeah. Then like just multiple rounds of like, you know, uh, like touch this up or like you need to write a prologue or, you know, whatever else they want to do to, to kind of restructure it. Um, and then, you know, like promo and yeah, so there's all this stuff that comes after the, like I handed my draft. So, um, fall 2022 is kind of like the goal. If I meet my deadline and everything else goes according to plan, that's when it would come out. And, you know, like fall September is like, you want to release everything in September. Everybody's going back to school. They're spending a bunch of money. Um, you know, uh, you have your, your kind of your summer reads and then your fall reads are usually a little bit more intense and this is going to be a pretty intense book, I think. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a September read. So where does the, the title come from? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, the title is a couple of things. Um, you know, my story in a nutshell is, uh, uh, I'm adopted. Um, and my, uh, my, my birth mother, I don't really like that term and I'll find a new term, I'm sure during the writing process, but for now we'll stick with it. Uh, my birth mother, um, uh, was a, a Ghanaian immigrant. Uh, she was 15 years old. Um, you know, she got knocked up by like a, a local guy, like a volleyball player. Um, and, uh, she was in foster care at the time she was sent away to a home for unwed mothers, uh, and basically coerced into giving me up for adoption. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, and this is like, you know, this, this happened a lot. Um, you know, this particular home was run by the Salvation Army. It, it closed not that long ago. And as I understand it, there is a pending class action lawsuit against the province um, because of how many women were, were coerced into giving up their, their babies there. No kidding. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I'm one of those babies. And this is stuff like I found that out like this week. Um, you know, the, the lawsuit points out that, like, the UN definition of genocide includes forced adoptions. So it's very weird to go your whole entire life just, like, raised by the people who adopted you. And they're like, oh, everything's fine. Everything's hunky-dory. And then find out when you're, like, 35 that, like, technically, you're actually a victim of genocide. So, um, you know, uh, <laughs> that's the book. But, you know, it's also, it's a very funny book. It's a funny, funny book, you guys. Well, it's uh, you, because... that's why. We know you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, like, I, I have a, a weird story. I think, uh, you know, like, my, my adoptive mom, like, she's still my mom. Like, I, I, I love her in the way that people love their mothers. But, mm. um, like, she wasn't equipped to raise a black son. She just wasn't. Um, and so... Uh, I, I, like, I experienced a lot of, of strange stuff. Um, you know, there will be like some, I think some really jaw dropping chapters. One chapter is about the time that she dressed up my younger brother, um, like in blackface to go as me for Halloween. Um, that's a real thing that happened. 
Um, and that's wow. like one of maybe like five things on that level, <laughs> just in terms of like shocking things that happened to me. So, um, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about uh, what I've, I've learned as somebody who is black and grew up like exclusively around white people, um, you know, and then I want to talk a little bit about like what race even is, because it's it's kind of a construct, you know, it's not really anything. Um, and, uh, and, and try to break down a little bit about, uh, like what people, what people think it is and how it actually kind of determines how your life goes. Um, cause you know, you, you're born and somebody tells you like, you're this race, uh, and that affects every single thing that happens in your life, your whole entire life. Um, so, you know, it's a big deal and considering it's, it's mostly fucking made up. Like, it's just crazy that this invisible, visible framework, framework, framework that's dictate your life in the way that it can wow yeah so anyway the boy who saw what wasn't there uh let me just answer the question about the title there um what wasn't there is is race uh what wasn't there is uh like my my birth mother who was disappeared uh what wasn't there is is like religion like god and angels and all this other stuff that i was told um you know really dictates my life and it doesn't um, you know, and then in a lot of ways, um, like when you're black in white society, you're kind of invisible. Like you're, you're also very visible. People see you like crazy, but they don't really see you. Like, you know, they don't, they don't see much beyond just, just race. Um, and in that way, you really do feel like you're invisible. So I am also, uh, what wasn't there. So it's a lot of different things. That's deep. I will definitely yeah, be kidding. getting that book. Um, and you said it's going to be funny. Now, I remember when you left Twitter and you're like, yeah, I might miss a few jokes. But then you came back and you said, what I did miss? Come back. And I, it was that day I said, ah, just a few jokes. So, you know, I didn't want to come back to Twitter. Um, I was really happy to be gone. But, uh, you know, when I when I was moved over to the, the Van Live team um, at the Sun, like they needed you know, you're, you're monitoring social media, you're trying to keep up with what's happening online. Like most of the stories now just break on Twitter, right? So, I mean, you can't, you can't be off. So yeah. I had to come back. It was embarrassing, but that's what you have to do. Well, that's, I, I mean, that's how, that's unfortunately when it comes to work, I guess, is, uh, you know, whether, I mean, because I think we can all agree for a good chunk of it, Twitter's a massive cesspool, but um, oh, yeah. At the same time, you know, we're also in an age where if you're not doing something on there, like it's whether it's that or Instagram or even Facebook, like part of that is part of your job. And, you know, you mm -hmm. do have to be a part of that. But, uh, Ted, I'm going to let you kind of run with this. Go for no, it. I mean, I think it's obviously pretty fitting, even that story about like how you're growing up and what your experience, I think, sort of like leans is a good segue into sort of what's going on today right what's happening yeah. uh in in pro sports leagues and um you know you said you cover obviously mainstream media now and that's like a, a great thing obviously vancouver post media um but every once in a while we run into you know a topic or a situation that sort of transcends sports or transcends regular media and, and i feel like that's obviously where we are right now with the moment of you know many major sports leagues um mm. whether that be from uh, the leagues themselves, or if it's, uh, you know, an initiative that the players have brought on. Um, so the NHL or, or more specifically the, the players in, in this case have decided to, to follow suit, you know, and suspend play in an act of solidarity. And, you know, albeit I feel like a little bit late, you know, I'd be curious yeah. to get what your thoughts were um, on it. And I wrote a little article myself, you know, the other day about how um, the conversation happened between me and my youngest daughter. 
Uh, and it was just that, you know, why are we, you know, how, how is not playing basketball going to, going to, going to change anything? And I was like, well, yeah. you know, it's not about that. It's, it's, it's happening so that you and I can have this conversation so that you can ask this question. Um, so I believe obviously that's, that's great stuff and the NHL is there now, but I, I really would be curious to know your thoughts on this because obviously you were close to this for a very long time and yeah. we respect your input. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, like, so it, it wasn't surprising at all that, uh, you know, that hockey missed the boat. Um, you know, the day that this movement kind of sprung up organically, you know, when, uh, when the NBA decided, like when the Milwaukee Bucks decided that they were going to strike, um, you know, and then the rest of the NBA followed suit. And then, you know, you had all these other sports leagues follow suit. Like, it just wasn't a surprise to me that that the NHL, which is, you know, like the whitest sports league, um, was going to miss the boat on that first day. Um, because, I mean, that's been, like, that's that's what this this entire issue is about in a nutshell, right? Is that, you know, like uh, like racialized people are, are out here screaming like every day, like the police are killing us. Like the government should not have the, the freedom, the right to just to just mow us down, to, to kill us in the streets, um, you know, to imprison us, uh, to take away our freedom. Like those things aren't okay. And what's happened is that, you know, we, we say these things and then like white people who have all the power um, do nothing. So um, it wasn't surprising that on this day, um, you know, all of these sports leagues that are, you know, majority racialized athletes, they stood up. Um, and then the NHL, which, you know, is a, a league that I think is, is more aligned with, with whiteness uh, than people realize. Um, like that's a huge part of this sports identity is the whiteness. Even the black players in this league are almost always mixed race like I am you know they're biracial players who were raised around whiteness and you know uh, uh, inculcated with whiteness um, you know I'm not surprised that a league like that wasn't able to respond um, smartly and rightly the first time around so um, you know the next day when uh, the hockey diver hockey for diversity Alliance um, you know when they called for for joining that strike um, you know, my expectation was that the, the league wouldn't because they never do. Like, they never oh, wow. get it right. You know, I really thought, like, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, and I was, I was stunned. Like, I was, like, fucking stunned um, when the games were canceled. And, again, you know, it's, it's still a very white league, so it wasn't just like, oh, you know, we're done. Like, they had to meet, and, you know, they kind of, like, talked with the league and figured out, like, how are we going to do this? And, you know, they really made sure that everything – worked out and that the schedule wasn't too ruined. You know, they took two days off so that they can just kind of keep going with the same, you know, alternating. Because uh, otherwise, you know, if you keep the schedule the way that it is, then, you know, a couple of these teams, like their series get ahead. Like, you know, so there were all these other considerations that the NHL made in order to make sure that, you know, the, the like joining this strike wasn't too disruptive. But still, um, you know, what happened was that, uh, you know, these racialized athletes made uh, a big fuss about this and then white people listened to them. And I've, I've never seen that before in like in hockey. I've never seen that before. I've been, you know, like when I was little, you know, I play all the NHL games and I, every year I tried to make an all black hockey team, you know, I'd be like, okay, like I'm going to create a team. We'll call them like the Vancouver where I was living in Abbotsford, the Abbotsford Harrisons, you know, 
And then I'd be like, all right, so I'll make me. And obviously I'll be a star left winger. Uh, Jerome McGinley is a star right winger. So you got that. And fighters. I guess it's mostly fighters all the way through the lineup now. You know, it'll be like Peter Worrell and like and, and Mike Greer and Donald Brashear and, you know, these dudes who like, you know exactly how they got to the NHL. They put on a pair of skates and every white boy came up to them like, fight me. And they just kept doing that until they got to the NHL. Uh, you know, and then there still weren't enough to make a team. So, you know, it's been a long time for me, um, you know, watching this game and just waiting to see, you know, a block of racialized hockey players come together and actually flex some power and force the league to listen to them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yesterday was it's still it was it was still too late. Like, I still think the league they really showed their ass and everybody knows everybody knows what they're about now as far as i'm concerned i think that you know if you didn't know before you know now um but we also saw a, a massive paradigm shift yesterday um and we saw the the arrival of a, a different power block in the nhl that will now be able to to press for change and actually have people respond and listen to them that's my that's my whole answer to that I think love uh, it. Do you think now that there has been this this shift, and I mean, it would be awesome if we saw this continue and that there was was change. And I mean, I would. I mean, we'd all love to see change. Just you know, take away the sports side of things, and that this actually stops becoming an issue constantly. Like you look at how many um, uh, Jacob Blake and there is um, George Floyd, and like. This happened. The first one, Floyd was in March, I think, right? March or April? Uh, I mean, Appro- what a month. I don't know. Approximately. Yeah. And then there is, is it uh, Brianna Taylor? Um, who yeah, was Brianna out- Taylor. And you're starting to see this, and I'm thinking, like, okay, there was this massive uprising. There was this massive push for change. And then it kept happening. And it's and now, within the, the era that we live in with body cams and cell phones and everything, this is all being recorded. This is mm-hmm. all for the world to see, whereas, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you know, you might see some of it because it was on TV and it happened to be live. Now, like, everyone yeah. has access to this, and it's still happening. And, you know, at the core of it, like, there just needs to be, like, not obviously hockey, we're talking about sports here, but an actual culture change. As Bringing it back mm-hmm. to the sports side, though, do you see now this group going forward and there will be more as once this playoff run is over do you see this as being an actual change or do you think this is just you know a friendly blip on the radar that they kind of say like we saw on the the big jumbotron the other day during the i think it was the colorado game and they had like this quick you know stoppage of play and the big black sign on the jumbotron and racism I'm like oh okay well i guess yeah. then we're good uh, you, you did it yeah like, <laughs> Way you, to guys, go. you guys figured it out before the end of the game that's awesome but yeah. Like, is is this going to be an actual change? Like, I know we've seen this more so on the NBA side because it is predominantly black, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, a lot of these guys, I'm sure, have experienced this, as you were saying, you have as well. I, I can't identify 100% or at all. Like, I've had friends that are black, and I've seen this kind of carried through, but I will never be able to identify with how growing up and everything that has happened to you or others um, is just like a daily part of life. Do you see yeah. this as as an actual change, or is it is there still going to be more that needs to happen before this is a true change? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I it's hard to say that this is going to be an actual change when, like, history tells us it won't be, right? Like, there are always these little moments where everybody gets on side and they say, you know, hey, like, I, I support you or, like, I've joined the movement. And then, like, nothing changes. It's, it's, it's the same. So, you know, I mean, today or yesterday was it was exciting. You know, it was exciting because I've never seen that before. But, I mean, I think that it's, you know, we have a, a long way to go. Um, you know, when we're talking about structural and systemic racism, like Canada was founded on it. You know, it's not just something that like seeped into the culture. Like that's that's the whole point. Like this country was founded on the 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 principle that the people here can go and we live here now, right? That's <laughs> that's it. And so, you know, when you like, and that's also like that's white supremacy, you know, like you came in, you find a country that's got all these non-white people, and you're like, ah, white people are better, and then you just kind of go coast to coast clearing it out like that's the, the the ethos the binding ethos of of both of the democracies of north america so you know when we talk about um you know <laughs> rooting out structural systemic racism like it's gonna be a long slog you know yeah. it's it's not something that's that's going to get done with uh you know a symbolic gesture here or there or you know the players all standing up and then making ryan reeves speak um you know like that's not gonna do it but um it's something, you know, you, you have to start somewhere. And the, the main thing is, you know, these movements, like they don't go anywhere until white people join them. Like that's, it's something that I think people don't understand. Like the, the Black Lives Matter movement, like it had been going on for years, but it, it mainstreamed this summer because white people signed on. Um, you know, the, like that's where all the power still resides. You know, that's again what, what people are protesting against. But the only way for, for that power to be kind of spread out and to have a more equitable society is actually for white people to, um, like in some sense, relinquish their own whiteness and join this movement, um, you know, of people who are, are marginalized and oppressed because they're the other. So, yeah, it's going to take time. Um, this isn't, this isn't the end. This is, like just the beginning um and again we're talking about something that is is hundreds of years old um and baked into every single aspect of our society like here's a just a, a stupid example from today i just kind of quietly raged to myself about this um i'm, a, I'm really into this rapper saweetie you guys know saweetie she no. has a song called my type uh it's great <laughs> it's a great song just about like big dicks and stuff, but uh, the uh, her, her her new song "Tap In," um, it's 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 climbing up the charts, and so uh, her record label has done what you always do uh, when a, a, like a hip hop track is is kind of on its way to number one is you release a remix with a bunch of other rappers, right? Like a, like a fresh posse cut. So they announced the three rappers on this cut, and they're they're Jack Harlow, the Baby, Post Malone, and they announced them. And today I found out. Like, I didn't know Jack Harlow was a white rapper. I had no idea. I don't know if you guys know who this dude is, but his song, <laughs> What's Poppin', this song is is number two, or it was number two a couple of weeks ago on the Billboard Hot 100, and it was weird. I saw it there and was like, I've never seen, well, this is like a posse cut with like Baby and Lil Wayne. These songs do not go to number one, number two on the Billboard Hot 100. They go to the rap chart, and then they go up and down on the rap chart. Um, so it just didn't make any sense to me that What's Poppin' was number two. But then today when Saweetie announced who the other rappers on this track were, and I saw that Jack Harlow was a white guy, it was like, oh, right. There it is. Because it's a different thing when the rapper is white. When a rapper is white, 
now he can be on the pop charts. He can cross over. He gets plays on twice as many radio stations. Um, you know, and if you want to go to number one as a black rapper, often the thing to do is to just load up with white rappers, right? Like Ty Dolla Sign's only number one was on a Post Malone song. I think Lil Wayne's only number one was on a Post Malone song. Like it's just um, like that's how you do it. So it's just one of these weird things where like, okay, even hip hop, like if you don't have whiteness to add to your track, you're probably not going to go, you know, to the top of the charts. Um, like, so like the music we listen to is just deeply racist. All the genres are deeply racist. These kind of dividing lines, like urban radio, like R&B, soul, like, and then suddenly some things are pop rock or pop. And usually you can release a song that sounds exactly like a soul song, but if you're white, now it's pop, <laughs> you know, and there's, it's just kind of bizarre because it's it's everywhere. You know, it's in the music, it's in the movies, it's in like our, our businesses, our cultures, everything. So it's uh, it, it's going to be a long, 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 long road um, to to rooting this out of society. But it begins honestly with white allyship. So you know, kudos to the NHL. I can't believe I'm saying this, but they did something um, and something real, uh, and that's that's pretty amazing. So I mean obviously we're in this like sort of weird sort of strange process from what people are thinking. And, you know, like I said, how, how, how postponing games and, and showing solidarity is going to solve the problem, right? How it's going to, how is this going to get rid of systemic racism? And obviously if that's the way you're thinking, you're missing the point. So, you know, I can only imagine because I have conversations that you have conversations with people um, that maybe don't get it, that question this, this scenario, that question this solution, you know, how are you talking to these people? How are you helping them to understand? Or, you know, how are you trying to put, you know, positivity into changing somebody's mindset in these things? Because obviously, if there is a problem and we're identifying it, you know, how are we trying to make it better? Because like you said, we need everybody, you know, yeah. in, in essence to make this thing work, right? We can't alienate even further. That's just as bad. So how do we, you know, how do we improve the standpoint with people? Yeah. Um well, I'm not really talking to anybody because it's a pandemic. I don't, I mean, I feel like you guys are like the first guy. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I think that uh, you, you, first of all, you point out, like when it comes to these player strikes, people are like, oh, well, what's it going to do to cancel NBA games or NHL games? Who owns these teams, right? Like these teams are all owned by these billionaires that actually are the ones that have the power to make change, you know? So you have to force their hand. Like they've forced all these athletes to go into these bubbles that are like clearly dangerous. Um, you know, I think that uh, the like the power that they wield uh, over uh, over these athletes is is bizarre and like and creepy too, right? Because these are like you're talking about uh, uh, like the 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 healthiest, fittest bodies in the country. Yeah, and then these billionaires own them. And I just feel like if we're being honest about what that actually is, yeah. like, you know, I know that we're, it that way, yeah. yeah, like we're polite now, you know, and so they pay these guys and then they complain when these guys get like a few million compared to the billions of dollars that these guys make. But like, yeah, again, like these are body collectors. Um, so I think that anytime that the players want to flex their, their collective power um, and force these like 30, you know, this consortium of billionaires to, to listen to them, um, I think is important. You know, I, I've had people say like, well, why aren't we boycotting Apple, Amazon, like whatever? Well, those owners are the guys that own these teams. So like, honestly, this is one of the most powerful things you can do. And, you know, if you have to now explain to your kids why it is that, you know, there's no Canucks game last night, like, yeah, suddenly now you're having conversations about things that, 
Like, honestly, like, I mean, you know, we all grew up in Canada. We don't talk about these things. No. There's, there's almost no. no language to discuss these things. People get nervous when you bring up race. You know, people don't know what to say. Um, you know, and, like, the only way that you, that you develop a language for discussing these, like, complicated, deeply rooted things is practice. Um, so, you know, any, any opportunity to, to, you know, force people to do that, to make them really reckon with what it means that like, you know, we're all comfortable out here in our houses and we're feeling fine. And like, you know, like I'm like a light skinned black guy and I'm like, I have a blue check mark. I'm prominent. The police don't fuck with me. But at the same time, like my privilege or your privilege or your privilege, like these things, um, you know, they allow us to ignore a lot of what's happening like outside of this bubble we're in uh, and we can't we can't because the only way that we change these things is by like being an actual collective and you know flexing our collective power um so yeah i mean i think that's probably what i would say maybe i'd try to say it more concise if it was like a 10 year old but you know that's <laughs> <laughs> about it's about like that dad i Hey, it's Ryan from the PP1 Podcast on Cryer Media. If you're looking for a spot to advertise your company, your brand, your cheese wheel, some beer, maybe some donuts, this is the spot. Reach out to me via DM on Twitter or Instagram at always94, and I'd be more than happy to chat with you. Worst case scenario, we just become best friends. And how awesome does that sound? I, a lot of that, is, I don't understand. Okay, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> How much impact do you think uh, the Diversity Alliance actually has on the NHL? Do you, I mean, because you said earlier, I mean, Evander Kane made his statement, which I think was awesome, um, which I don't think he should have had to make, but he made his statement, and you said right away you didn't think that the league was going to turn was going to turn it around, right? Obviously, it was going to be have to be on the players at that point. But mm. how much of an impact do you think that the Diversity Alliance can have, and do you think that it's Oh, sometimes I see stuff like this and I almost feel like it's, it's, it's uh, to save face to create or, or a disingenuine, right? Oh, like if we missed it on the first day, we're going to make sure to do it on the second day because there was public outcry about it. It right. doesn't have the same feeling. So do they have power? Do they have an impact? And if not before, do they, do you feel like there is more now? Where can that go? Yeah. Um, I definitely think they have power. Um, you know, I mean, one of the things with like with black hockey players, especially is like, they're always spread out across teams, right? Like when was the last time, I think it was probably that Atlanta Thrashers team that was trying was, to be yeah. the black middle class that we had like any more than maybe, maybe two black yeah. players on one team, you know, and I think uh, Devonte Smith Pelly, he told Bruce Arthur in a column like last year, like, you're always the only black guy on your team. And that's not accidental, right? Um, you know, the when you have more than one black person, then they talk to each other and they corroborate one another's stories and they, they, they uncover patterns of behavior uh, in the people that they work and live with. Like, so um, it goes from being something that you can deny to something that you cannot deny. You have, like, you have to see it, you know? I mean, honestly, that's the same thing that happened with the, the Me Too movement, right? Is this like women were able to talk to each other and yeah. be like, hey, well, that happened to me. And now suddenly a pattern is established and like people who had shitty patterns, they had to learn a big lesson. Um, you know, like that's, that's, that's how that works. So, you know, in the case of the hockey diversity Alliance, like, you know, all these dudes, um, like, first of all, they, they, most of them have the same agent already, right? Like they are all, most of them are repped by, uh, by Eustace King, who's the only black agent in hockey. 
Um, you I know, had no and idea so, about that. Yeah, it's like one of these things that nobody talks about. Like, it's just fascinating. Like, there's a black hockey agent for most of the black hockey players, hmm. and then they don't, you know, they, they, they don't have a collective presence. So they fixed that. They created this alliance. Um, and because we're in this, you know, like with like the athletic and the players tribune and Twitter, like you can just, you can bypass your team's comms guy. You know, you can go straight to the fans. You can go straight to the public. Um, I don't know that hockey even realizes how much power the hockey diversity Alliance actually has. Um, you know, everybody is looking to this sport, the white sport and the sport of like, this is like for rich, usually like, upper class white kids uh like this sport um you know they haven't had any pressure on them and now suddenly here's an organization like embedded into the nhl that is going to pressure them at every turn and shame them if they don't do the right thing um and you know like honestly force them to do what they did yesterday um you know and that's not to take anything away from the players who woke up and were like oh we probably shouldn't have played last night and you know called around like what do we do what do we do like obviously you know like there are like lots of white folks who are trying to figure out what the right thing to do is and trying to figure out how to help and like you know how do i how do i really like renounce my privilege from my house and you know um and so they're looking for guidance but you know now there's this organization that can can give them some guidance and help them to talk these things through uh and shine a spotlight on these issues that it's been too easy to ignore in the nhl for a really long time you know what I think about, too? You kind of awesome. mentioned, um, you brought up basically how hockey is. And I was talking with a coworker of mine, like her sons are getting ready to gear up for, you know, their, their hockey season. And it sounds like that is still happening and for minor hockey. And, you know, the cost to, to play hockey is ridiculous. Even at the lowest possible level, it's expensive. Mm. And I think when you, when you look at it, the NHL as the, the premier hockey product being that it is predominantly white with this diversity alliance, the NHL probably is in the most timely position to actually be one of the biggest different difference makers of all the leagues because they're the oh, only yeah. one like baseball has a pretty good blend of pretty much everything. You've got Latino, you've got Japanese, you've got black, you've got white, you've got a little bit of everything. Football is predominantly black you see um, the NBA again is predominantly black, but you look at hockey, which is predominantly white. And if they're the ones that are actually saying like, listen, I think we've been maybe not paying attention to this or letting this just sit, you know, on the back burner for way too long. We need to make this the issue that we finally, you know, team up and, and, you know, help make the change of all the sports really like as far as North America, it's a little different, I guess, overseas, but it's, a little bit different over there, I suppose. But you look at hockey, and really, they have an opportunity to be the premier league that that demands change. And I think because you look again, mostly in Canada, but you know, definitely in the U.S. as well. Like you look at the the people that these you know that kids look up to, like the Sidney Crosby's and the um, you know Jonathan Taves and McKinnon, and you know goes on Connor McDavid. All this, these are the guys that can actually be like massive difference makers not just as a sport but as as our human race really like we you know yeah. we were talking about it earlier I, I i really think just thinking about it that there is a huge opportunity for this to actually be so much more than than it's become well yeah like they you know like i mean they won't be the predominant league because the nba has fucking cornered it right like the nba is 
like they a kick-ass it. social justice league now, right? Yeah. But, you know, the NBA is, uh, like, they're going to lead the way uh, in the same way that, like, I mean, you know, like, black women have been leading the way as community organizers in the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, like, honestly, going back to Martin Luther King, like, th that was still an organization, that whole civil rights movement. And he was, you know, the figurehead and the mouthpiece, but there were a lot of black women organizing behind him that didn't get mentioned and didn't get, you know, the press um, that he got. So, I mean, it's still going to be the NBA leading the way. But what you see, and we saw yesterday, is, you know, people still just, they really just want to hear from white people. Um, so, you know, when, when uh, the, the players said that they were going to take two days off, like what happens? Uh, the, the Larry Brooks at the Post reports that, oh, well, the Canucks were instrumental in, in getting this done. Like, no, they weren't. The Hockey Diversity Alliance was instrumental. And then the Canucks like followed suit. They were one of what? Like three they were the or third one of, yeah. Right? And they were like, you know, it's like an all white hockey team, right? So of course they're going to be the ones who get the credit in the end, but like they were playing that night. So of course they were instrumental. You had to ask them, um, you know, so like, I think what happens is, um, you know, especially in this culture war that we're in right now, um, you know, where like people have really come down on like, either you're for black people or you are against black people. Like that's, you know, I feel like Trump has just made that really obvious now. Um, so, you know, in this culture war, a lot of people have, um, have turned from the NBA and kind of run to the NHL like, well, this league will stick to sports and this league won't, you know, won't be pushing me to change my views and pushing me to focus on police brutality and really reckon with what's happening in our society. Like the NHL is my safe space. Um, and yeah, right. It does suck. And it's going to continue to suck until the NHL, um, you know, really steps up and says, we don't fucking want you. Like, we don't want you if you are running to this league as your safe space in a culture war. Like, um, and, you know, it's been years now that people have been have been doing this um, and, you know, really juxtaposing the NHL and the NBA. Like, you see that all the time, right? Like, oh, LeBron James, like, he's me, me, me. But Jonathan Taves played with a broken leg for his teammates or, like, whatever the hell else. Like, that, that happens all the time uh, where you contrast these two leagues. And when the NHL doesn't say anything, then they are condoning that. They are complicit in that. Um you know, like we, the, the, the term that's really kind of like the, the term of the moment right now is anti-racism, right? Like you're either for this or you're against this. Um, and when the NHL is silent, they're for it, um, you know, and, and racists are finding refuge in this league. Um, and so, you know, now uh, if they can begin to, to change that you know, about their brand and they can begin to speak out and say like, yeah, we don't want people following us for that. Like we are with um, you know, our racialized colleagues in these other sports, um, you know, people will really listen to that because the NHL is kind of like the, the last hiding place um, for like a lot of racists who want a sports league that isn't going to force them to look at these things. Yeah. So we see, yeah, we see, you know, we see that all the time, apparently, right? I mean, it, 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 it makes sense. It's being not racist is the bare minimum. Yeah. Uh, you know, and hockey is this league that obviously you identify as a place of refuge and a place of salvage. And another thing that I didn't, I didn't think a whole lot about, and, and that's obviously part of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's also some good things going on around the league too. And it's almost that, you know, one of those weird things where we're hockey mentality, which has been chastised for a bunch of things and rightly so, where, where that hockey mentality also was a good thing. It was a, a thing where, you know, the, the golden Knights and, and, the avalanche and you know and 
and the Canucks could all get together in an open conversation with all the players and, and, and stand together with one another and say, you know, I hate this guy's guts on the ice, um, yeah. but this is separate and this is something different. And it's almost that mentality of, you know, you get into a scrap playing beer league hockey with the guy and then you have a beer with him. Like it, it feels like that. Right. And that's a good yeah. thing about sport and a good thing about hockey. So it puts us in a really unique place, Yeah, you know, something that I'm thankful for. Um, and it is, you know, like we said earlier, it's, it's, it's late to the party. Uh, but I, I do appreciate the, 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 the direction, or at least that there's notice that a response is, is taking place. And it really was something to see, you know, Kadri, Reeves, Belmare, Dickinson, and Horvat all up there with just a battery of players behind them. Everyone standing together so big that it pressed past the podium markers, you yeah. know, and expanded into the hallways. That was like, really, that scene gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Uh, and for the yeah, right reasons, cool. right? So, uh, you know, I... I there, there is a lot of ugly, obviously, that's happening, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it was good to see some good good come out of it. And, um, you know, even just past that, it felt like, you know, all the media questions were happening with all the teams. And every time it seemed like they tried to take it back to start talking about hockey, the, the players turned turned the corner back onto the big issue at hand, and, and that's race. So, yeah. you know, I, I would... I would. I want to know what your thoughts were on that, and and where do you think the direction for that the players going now is? Is if it's headed in the right direction? Does more need to be done over the next couple of days? And 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 obviously past that. But where are we in this moment? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what happens in the next couple of days. Um, you know, I imagine that you know now that the NBA has agreed to come back, like everybody will will come back, um, and uh, like this issue will come up again, right? I mean, it's it feels like it's it's once a week that we see a video on Twitter of like a, like a black person being killed by the police. We see that like every week. Um, so there will be other, other, other opportunities to, um, you know, to really react to these things, to speak out, to keep pressure on people um, about this movement. Um, I think the, the most exciting thing for me, uh, like I didn't actually watch the, the press conference cause like for me personally, I didn't care. It was like, I don't care. Like I, you know, I, I know, I know what these guys are, what these guys are about. Like, I'm excited that they're going to get up here and they're going to say things about racism, but like, it's fine. Uh, I, I've heard what they, what they have to say. Um, so like, I didn't watch it, but I, I was really excited that, um, you know, like I know a lot of these guys, like these guys aren't liberals, <laughs> like they're, you know, like they're a lot of these guys, uh, like are gonna, are gonna stand there at that podium and then turn around and still vote for Donald Trump, right? I know like Logan Couture got into trouble for that yesterday because like he tweeted something right. about, like a lot of these guys are, you know, they're, was, they're yeah, conservative. Yeah, that's great. You should, you should. Um, but yeah, like, they, you know, they're like, they're conservative. They're like, they're raised with all this money and all this privilege. And like, they haven't really thought about these issues. But what's happened now is they have to. And they feel like they felt shamed by, by what happened when they played on the day that everybody else didn't. Um, and they felt like they had to respond, you know? And like, people said, like, oh, well, it's virtue signaling and it's performative. Of course it is, but that's amazing. Like it's amazing that these guys felt that they had to go out and say these things. You know that the the paradigm has shifted so much that uh, these guys felt like they had to do that. Um, that's remarkable. And I mean, as long as the pressure stays on, that will keep happening, and you'll begin to be able to change some of these dudes' minds. Like a lot of these guys are young. Um, you know, they're young, and it's 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 not like the like the views that they were raised with. Um, can't be pushed out of them you know that they can't actually see that there are uh, like a bunch of things outside of the little bubble that they that they were raised in um 
you know, and, and understand, you know, that empathy and understand that there are things that they can do from their position of incredible privilege. You know, these dudes that have been raised as like the princes of Canada, um, now realizing that the, the power that they have um, to, to co-sign this movement and push that movement forward and flood that movement into communities that have been able to plug their ears and close their eyes for, for generations, like that's remarkable. So, you know, I'm, I'm very excited for where this could go um, as long as the pressure stays on these guys. Uh, but, you know, again, we'll see how that goes. Does the pressure just continue to come from the fact, obviously, where we are now, 50 years from where we were, or, or 40 years, or even 30 years, is the difference the availability to access media and to have camera phones and social media, and, and how does that continue to be utilized? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that uh, like just the, the ability for us all to connect and corroborate one another's stories and you know, and like, and even like mourn collectively, like, I think that's remarkable, you know, when, uh, you know, when Breonna Taylor was killed, um, you know, and, and people like all over the world just kept saying her name and, you know, demanding that something be done, like nothing has been done. But at the same time, like you've got all these people who are now pressuring, you know, governments to make changes and are reacting, um, you know, to, to all of these things that are happening, these kind of these, these atrocities, um, you know, there's there's a real push, like there's real power. Um, here's another fun example from my life. Um, my whole entire life, you guys, I have been very annoyed that Dairy Queen has a drink that's half coffee and half ice cream, and it's called the Moo Latte. So listen to me. <laughs> I'm serious, this is, okay? This is a real drink. This a is real a drink pivotal they moment sell. in the show right now, I think. because a real drink that they sell. I don't know. <laughs> hear, hear me out. Real drink that they sell. Um, you know, it's obviously a play on the word mulatto, which is an old-timey term for people like myself who are half black and half white. Um, you know, and it is derived from the word mule, right? This kind of like this like freak animal that can't reproduce that you get when you cross a horse and a donkey. It's a very racist term, and it is very dehumanizing when people refer to me as mulatto. So it's just super fucked up that there's this Dairy Queen drink called a mulatte. But, you know, like I grew up in a, like a, in a culture where like not only were there no other black people, but like there were not many other like, you know, mixed race folks. So it was going to be really hard for me to get together a coalition to go, you know, banging down the doors at Dairy Queen. Like you guys should change this. Like you've upset a lot of us. Um, you know, I, mean, I think like when I was like 18, I wrote a letter. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happened. Good. Um, <laughs> Good for you. I love it. Yeah, you know. But yeah, nothing happened because you can ignore one person. Um, but I mean, you can't ignore everyone. Uh, you can't ignore, you know, a massive collective uh, like making the shit trend uh, and demanding accountability and refusing to let up. And you definitely can't ignore this massive coalition once all the white people have also joined it, um, you know, and suddenly it's like your mom is part of the coalition and uh, you know, like the principal and, you know, like all these other people that like just were able to ignore it before. Um, so yes, uh, the, the mulatte is my example here, but um, like as long as people are connected, um, we still like, we have more power collectively than, you know, like these few assholes who are running our societies, uh, these billionaires who are hoarding all the money, like we have more power. Um, and, you know, the change comes when we realize that we can use that power 
Um, and especially when uh, like white people co-sign these movements um, and allow us to, to really overwhelm these few people who are keeping us under thumb. So I got to apologize to you, Harrison, because uh, when you <laughs> tweeted that out, like, I don't know, like, was it a couple months ago, I think? Yeah. Yeah. And I was kind of mad at you. I'm like, have you had one of these? Like, they're not too bad. <laughs> they're delicious. They're, they're not too bad. But then you break it down and I think, man, I, I don't like that. Like that, you know, I, and I mean, there's, you know, there, there is, there, there is truth to that. There has to be. I mean, it's not just something yeah. like, Hey, you know, it'd be a great idea. What if we put this and this together? Like, Oh, that's genius. No, it's not just, it doesn't work like that. You know, marketing, yeah. like, you know, you're a smart guy. You understand how marketing works and how they can come yeah. up with a name. Um, and as do I, like, you know, that was, that's what I went four years for a two year program to, to learn about. Um, so for me, you know, I, I understand that as well. And to, to learn that, you know, the essentially the meaning behind that is, you know, that is, that's something as, you know, well, you know, who knew we'd be talking about Dairy Queen, but that's, that's, something. <laughs> you know what though, it's, it's an easy thing for them. And I think we're going to see, it's not just going to be sports. It's going to be, you know, main, hopefully mainstream society is going to eventually start picking up on these. And as you mentioned with like the me too movement, and there will be other movements that, that come through and not to, to put this, I'm, I'm not trying to put it down or, or to minimize it, but there will be other things that I think we're, we're at a point right now where I think people have had enough of basically what we've all, as you said, you know, in your, and you'll, you'll bring up in your book, what, what we've been taught, I mean, we're all around the same age. I'm, you know, in, in my late thirties as well, Ted, you as well. We've all been taught so many things that were so, so clearly, clearly wrong. And whether it was racist or just pure hatred or bigotry, it is all these things. And now we're learning and like, we're waking up and, you know, we're all waking up in different ways at different times, but now we can finally say, Hey, that isn't going to carry on to my kids and to their generation and the ones beyond we are, you know, as important as we are to start this change, it'll carry on to our kids and they're going to be able to say like, this is what happened. Like, how did you guys function as a society that way? And we can look forward and kind of think this is where it all started. This was the time that this got brought to the forefront and we actually saw the change begin. And I mean, change will never stop. It'll never be done. But I think uh, it's neat to see that, you know, maybe we just, we need to wake up on so many levels, obviously. So, uh, and this is a super important one. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's 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 the work, right? Like, it's the important work of our time to be um, to be doing what we can to to unravel. Like, yeah, we we we've all been raised in a white supremacist society. Like, we just have, and I know that like it's it's a big scary term, um, you know, and and people don't like hearing it, but you know, we have. Um, and I mean, for me, obviously, like as a as an ad- adoptee, um, you know, being raised by by white parents who who really didn't see that. And then there was no like there was no option but to see that for me, right? Like I you can't you can't ignore that when something is is happening to you and it's not happening to everybody else. Like you have yeah. to see it. Um, there's a a Lorraine Hansberry quote that uh, has kind of been like the guiding light for this book for me. And she says um, she's a, a playwright. She wrote uh, A Raisin in the Sun. It's a famous play. Um, and she says uh, the the acceptance of our present condition is the only form of extremism which discredits us before our children. Um, 
you know, like I've got, I've got two kids, they're young, um, you know, they're both under two, um, you know, and they're going to be observing the world and taking in all of this stuff that I've taken for granted, and they're going to see it differently. Um, and if they see me fine in this society and not constantly fucking outraged, then I am discredited in their eyes. They'll see that. They'll see that I'm complicit. They'll see that I'm complacent. Um, you know, they'll see that I have sided with the oppressors because I have light skin privilege because it, it's like, you know, uh, uh, I, I have like white privilege. I, I had a great education and I had, I learned how to talk like white people. Um, and that allowed me to have a lot of the success that I've had. Um, and they'll see all that. Um, and they won't respect me. Um, because, because they'll know that I don't deserve respect. Um, and I think that that's a really frightening thing to say out loud. Uh, I think it's frightening for uh, for parents to hear, especially white parents. Um, but it's it's true. Like our children are seeing it now, um, and they they know where we stand. Uh, and if we aren't like fighting against this, then they will continue to know where we stand, um, and it's not going to go well for us. You know, I know, I never I never even considered looking at it from that side of it from from you raising your kids i have obviously i'm not going to name names i have friends whose parents are old and not with it yeah and we're we're raised differently and and i can tell you that i don't get down with that and you know those friends ultimately don't respect their parents for that reason right so yeah it goes both ways right harrison i mean it, it, it really does go with both ways so uh, I appreciate you opening my eyes to that. So that's that's definitely something that I wasn't thinking about prior to this conversation. Well, that's exciting to hear. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I hope I ruined your day. You know what? You <laughs> promised you were gonna have the thermos. Yeah. You're gonna have the thermos hot takes, and uh, <laughs> you you brought it, buddy. You brought it. You, but yeah. you know what? It's uh, the the conversation. I I think this is gonna be something that people are going to definitely want to listen to and it at the same time it may be something that people don't want to listen to um, maybe people avoid at the same time like i think i think you know just this conversation that we've had in the last hour and i just think like man like people need to hear this like this is a conversation that needs to be had over and over and over all over and i think yeah. it needs to be uh, it needs to be heard so um thanks a ton for coming I'd... Oh, well, thanks for giving me a platform to just rage about all these things. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. I was like, yes, excellent. So, no, we, we honestly, I do appreciate it. Um, as I said, uh, when I first got into blogging uh, a, a few years ago, it feels like, um, you know, Pasadabulus was uh, a big deal. And uh, you guys gave me a platform um, to write. I mean, I was writing on my own, but you guys had... Uh, as it was called stick and link on, on your site every week. And I made sure it was, I think it was like Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I made damn sure that I had two articles out a week that were good enough that you guys would put it out there. Cause I wanted, I wanted to have my voice out there, you know, as good or bad as it was. And, um, because of that, you know, we're, we're having a conversation here. Um, kind of a, a, a round trip uh roundabout way of doing it for totally different reasons but uh I, yeah I, it's I, all I, connected I'm as super... lauren hill says everything is everything there you go, there you go. <laughs> uh, so lauren hill so yeah lauren hill i get uh, criticized on pretty regular conversations about why she's in my top five but yeah 
that's everything's connected. I love that. Yeah. This is uh this has been a lot of fun. Ted, did you have anything uh you want to finish up with or? No, Harrison. I just wanted to obviously say that we just you know really appreciate your time and and obviously we value your takes and I think that. Uh, it's great that you say that you, you know, had an opportunity to, to, to rage on this platform, but I don't think it's about that. I think it's about you just sharing your stories and your opinions and your takes that, that not everybody gets to hear that not everybody gets to see. Um, and somebody's going to voluntarily listen to it for that reason. So, um, we appreciate you. So thank you so much for coming on. The man yeah. is, is he's raising two babies as we put, it. he's got a two early, just had a, a brand new baby boy at the start of pandemic. So you're the first person that I've talked to that's raising a baby in the pandemic, but man, the floor is yours for the next, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. Please tell us what's going on with Harrison Mooney, what you got going on next, how things are going for you and what we can look forward to because uh, we want to hear about it. And buy his book people. When it comes out, you got to buy this book. I need this book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really it. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I start a two month unpaid leave next month. Um, and that's my, my kind of focused writing time. I'm going to try to finish, this memoir, it's supposedly due out in the fall of 2022, the boy who saw what wasn't there. Um, and then, you know, other than that, uh, I, I do continue to, to work for uh, the Vancouver Sun uh, and the province at Post Media, um, you know, so you can read my stuff there uh, <laughs> in November when I'm back to work. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going to have a bunch of stories that are going to be, please publish on this date. Like, Harrison, like, that's not even an issue anymore. Like... The Stanley Cup's over, or you know, Playland, uh, like Playland didn't happen, or you know, stuff like that. So, <laughs> like, it's not even relevant anymore. Like, should we bring him back? Peony's over, man. Yeah. We never did that. Yeah, people don't forget. I went yesterday. It was it was weird. It was weird. Did they have the I super? Bet. Did they have the super dogs? Uh, yeah, the super dogs are up on a stage. It's like a tailgate party now. So you drive up, and then they're up there, and they kind of just ran back and forth, and then like you know, they jump over their trainer, and then that's it. Like it was really short. It you know I, it wasn't it was it wasn't good. I'm not gonna. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to so disparage like, the super dogs. It was but just it, dogs. it was the worst super dogs I've ever seen. It was just dogs. So don't hype it up when I take my kids to go see super. Oh, this was the coolest thing when I was ten years old. Don't do that. Yeah. No, super dogs rules if it's in the the coliseum. But like it it wasn't. It was just outside on a stage. Like those are just dogs running around. They're not super at all. <laughs> Oh my goodness. This is great. This was great. Thanks so much, Harrison. Yeah, thanks again. This is the PP1 podcast. Have a great weekend, folks. Peace. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Hey, it's Joel Williamson, host of That Nerd Dad podcast. Look, finding time for yourself is an important part of parenting. It allows us to be the best version of ourselves for our kids. So tune in every week to talk about parenting, pop culture, and politics. 
Whether you're an exhausted parent looking for a laugh or a stone teenager who clicked on this by mistake, this is the podcast for you. You can find me on Spotify, Apple, Google, the Dean Blundell Network, or at thatnerddad.ca.